Hockey Hall of Fame has come calling. Some had to wait a lot longer than others. Uh, looking at uh, the likes of Mike Vernon, for example. Uh, and if you're Henrik Lundqvist, uh, you only had to wait a couple of years um, because when you're the king of New York, New York, you're the king of New York. And the king of the Hall of Fame class, for sure, will run down uh, the list of inductions for 2023 before we get to the calm before the storm the trades are starting to pile in a few notable contract extensions to uh take note of um and probably when you consider the amount of free agents that are available um they might uh, they might turn out to be the best bargains of the offseason who really knows uh, we will also know who is going to go first overall. JK, we knew that a couple months ago. But who goes after Connor Bedard first of all is uh, the bigger question. We'll have a little uh, fireside chat about that. And we'll also break down the top three headlines that we want to see unfold in the offseason. Episode 370 of the Lisma Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Hockey Hall of Fame 2023. A class listing a lot of uh, goaltenders, Brett, uh, both past and present. So do you want to start uh, with uh, the more uh, present version of the past, or do you want to go back to the 90s real quick? Uh, well, no, that's... I, I don't know exactly... Uh, I mean, I can just list them out, but you you probably know better than I do on a couple of these guys anyway, so. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, so I, I guess I'll just list them all here. Um, so, Henrik Lundqvist gets in on the first ballot. I think that was pretty much everyone had. Uh, yeah, like, had he was the first guy out. I thought of, okay, surely yeah. he's in, and he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Barrasso gets in as well. Um, that's that took a while to get him in, but uh, yeah, he's finally in. Mike Vernon is in, and then a Pierre Turgeon were in. Those two were a little bit more of a surprise to me. Um, like I remember Pierre Turgeon when I was like a little kid, but I, I didn't, like and now I'm like looking at his stats and I'm like. Are we? I, I guess he was over a point per game player, but it's like he only got a Lady Bing in '92, so I'm like I'm not sure if um, it makes a ton of sense. But yeah, he had, he did have a long career, so so maybe that's that's why. Um, and then um, just to finish this list, I um, Al Ulet. Um, I think that's. Uh, who's Caroline uh, Caroline Ulet uh, was Ouellette. a key fixture for a lot of success for uh, Team Canada's women's national team. Won four Olympic gold and six world championships with Canada. Okay, LaCroix, I don't know. Because um, you just put the last names on this on this list here. Uh, Pierre LaCroix? Ah, uh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Pierre LaCroix was the architect of uh, the Colorado Avalanche ah, okay. uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, a lot of their uh, success was under his... Uh, work as uh, GM of the team. So uh, definitely a guy that uh, earned his strikes in the hall. And then uh, Ken Hitchcock also is in there too. 
Um, that one makes some sense mm-hmm. too. He, you know, he won a cup as, as the Dallas Stars coach. Um, he was also involved with the St. Louis Blues, although he didn't win um, when he was there. But he he was like a fixture there for for a while. So he he gets a Builder's Award as too. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I guess it's not a huge surprise that Henrik Lundqvist gets in because if you were to name me the best goaltenders in this century. Um, despite not winning a Stanley Cup, uh, I would definitely, like, Henrik Lundqvist would be top three on that list. Um, maybe then you have, like, Carey Price, who also didn't win a Stanley Cup, and then Andre Vasilevsky, who, of course, he's won a couple. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he's on the top of the list because he was very, very good for a very long time, uh, for, like, at least... 10 years now is yeah I'm looking at his stats it's like he got a ton of nominations starting in 2005 to 2006 his rookie year um and then um yeah he won one Vezina uh he almost single-handedly won the Stanley Cup finals with the Rangers uh because he was like their their best player on that Stanley Cup final team even though like yeah shout out to Martin St. Louis on that team as well I believe we even covered that final um we've been doing this for so long when are we getting into the hall is what i'm asking steve um <laughs> to be determined, yeah, to be uh, determined. and yeah. you look at lunquist's bad years yeah. like his well, some of his final seasons yeah. they were better than barrasso and Vernon. true true yeah so he's been in the he was uh he played for the rangers that was his only team that he's played for for 15 years i guess he he did go to washington but he had that like injury that ended his career. Yeah, um, it was it was a yeah. heart related injury yeah. that um, unfortunately uh, sidelined him yep, for yep. the rest of his career. And tried to get back, but yep. felt it was time to hang him up. For uh, he went four fifty nine, three ten, and uh, uh, ninety six, um, and then um, and then he had a career two point four three GAA and a save percentage of nine eighteen. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, also the most wins by European goalie in NHL history. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also looking here at qual- his quality starts percentage, which is basically... So quality starts is a save percentage that's above average of the save percentage for the year, so or at least 88.5% on nights with 20 or fewer shots against. Um, and uh, his quality starts percentage was at 594. I'm not sure if you would compare that to someone else. I, I'm sure that's that's pretty good, though. Um, yeah, it's probably near the top of the list, yeah, if you ask me. Like, quality yeah. starts is, like, you give your team a chance to win every exactly. night. That's what I evaluate it as. Yeah, 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 that's fair. Um, and, uh, yeah, because I, I guess hockey references just added a bunch of, like, these advanced stats here, so that's kind of cool now. Um, but, yeah, so, so, yeah, I mean, even though he never won the Stanley Cup, uh, he was, no, like... During in his prime for like which was at least like six years seven years, um, you know he was considered one of the best goaltenders in the league, um, and that's like a classic thing like you you hear this all the time when we're talking like the bat baseball hall of fame but it definitely applies here for the hockey hall of fame is can you tell the story of your sport without uh, mentioning this player's name and that's like your barometer. And yeah, you can't you can't name, um, you can't talk about Henrik Lundqvist, um, or you can't talk about the history of hockey 
without talking about Henry Lundquist. Uh, just purely because, like, on a on another level, he brought like the Rangers weren't necessarily a relevant hockey team before he got on board, uh, which is impressive considering that he was a seventh round pick, um, and uh, yeah, in two thousand, um, and then he makes his debut in uh, in two thousand five. So five years later, he uh, all of a sudden becomes like that's probably one of the the best drafts. Um, diamond in the rough picks that you can even take because uh, I don't even th- yeah I guess there are seventh round or seven rounds now but um, but yeah so it's um, it's definitely um, something that I guess brother Joel was taken ahead of him in the oh, draft here oh I thought I thought Joel never even like played but yeah that's oh, right he, no he played in the NHL with the Dallas Stars oh, he right, even right. faced Henrik Lundqvist a couple of times oh I didn't even know correct. that Oh, but for okay. the most part, he played uh, in Europe. He wasn't in the NHL for long. He also like he was looked, drafted. He was drafted higher than Lundqvist in his draft year. He also looks a lot like Henrik Lundqvist too. Like, yeah, I think yeah. They're identical twins they're, or something like you that. You can tell they're they're related a hundred percent. Okay, yeah. It says that Joel Lundqvist. Oh no, Joel Lundqvist was a center. Yeah. He didn't. Okay, but yeah, he played a hundred and thirty-four games. Um, yeah. Not so, nothing. Not nothing, yeah. Um, but yeah, all for Dallas. So he probably didn't play <laughs> play Henrik that often. But um, I also do want to say that like I, I, I doubt it had played a factor into his Hall vote, but um, he is now on T- he's on like the TNT um, board with uh, Paul Bissonnette and Anson Carter and occasionally Wayne Gretzky because um, he, like, he re- replaced Rick Tockett. And he is super knowledgeable about the sport of hockey, and you can tell that he like knows his stuff. Um, so, um, and he's yeah, he's he's like a very good um, good broadcaster, and just knows like and he gives like the goalie perspective a lot of the times on plays that we see in the game. So, um, so yeah, I look forward to to hearing more uh, from him in the future, just from in that context as well. Um, so, so yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I think that makes sense for Henrik Lundqvist to be in. Uh, then we go into the other guys just really quickly here. So Tom Barrasso gets in, um, he played for Buffalo, Pittsburgh, um, uh, for a number of years or so 12 years in Pittsburgh, six years in Buffalo. Um, and then he kind of went around the league, um, or like he had one year in Ottawa, one year in Carolina, or I guess seven games in Ottawa, I should say. Four, uh, 34 games in Carolina, four games in Toronto, and six games in St. Louis. Um, and uh, according to hockey references, that's 19 years, uh, 777 games, uh, where he went 30, 369 wins, 277 losses, and 86 ties or uh, yeah i guess this was before the lockout so um yeah first american born goalie to 300 wins uh, the first to do it boston boy as well um so he was uh i guess he was the goalie for the yager and lemieux teams in pittsburgh um so that all checks out uh he did win a vezina and a calder in his first year is that right yeah with buffalo that's insane buffalo yeah (laughs) Well, what's crazy here is his save percentage was 893, 
and a 2.85 GAA. So that's not even that good. But somehow he won a Vezina. Back, back then, that was pretty good because, yeah, okay, you fair, know, fair that was, that was yeah. the height of Gretzky's okay. powers. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, that, that was in 1983. I guess, yeah, maybe you're right. That, that, sh- that says more about the goalies of the time than, than him. Probably would have been higher... Probably would have been higher if he faced Gretzky more. Yeah, he did have a winning record as well, so to be fair. So he had a 26, 12, and 3 that year. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, you know, so uh, Ken, Ken Campbell kind of, um, he went on Twitter the other uh, day, um, and um, or when this was announced, and he was kind of arguing that, like, Tom Barrasso should have been in the Hall of Fame a lot sooner um, so it's like, why wasn't Henrik Lundqvist, why was Henrik Lundqvist in and Tom Barrasso wasn't in, or it took him a long time to not get in? Um, I think one is like that Tom Barrasso didn't really play in a heavy market like New York. So that's probably part of it. Um, and Lundqvist is more recent, so he's more in the minds of the voters. Um, but I, I think there's also an element, as, as I just mentioned, like goaltending in, like in the 80s, as you just said, in the early 90s, like was not good. <laughs> and um, and I, I feel like there should be more goalies in the Hall of Fame. So like, I, I do agree with Ken Campbell from that element. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it's like when, when we were just talking about like Barrasso versus Lundquist, even though I guess it shouldn't be comparable, but we're doing that. Um, yeah, I think it does make sense that Henrik Lundqvist gets in on the first ballot and Tom Barrasso takes a little bit longer. Um, supposedly, Tom Barrasso also didn't get along with the media as well. Yeah, and so, I think that's the biggest reason. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so so that's that's that. Um, typical for a Boston, like, he's just fitting into the Boston stereotype there. But, um, yeah, so, so I guess... I guess maybe that had part to do with it, and as you're saying, that's probably the main reason. Um, but yeah, so but in general, I feel like there should be more goalies in the Hall of Fame than there are right now. But I think as you're just saying, it's like because the '80s were so like had so many, like it was so forward centric and goal centric that like there was like eight seven games pretty much every night. That it's like okay, maybe there shouldn't be a ton of goalies in the Hall of Fame. But I feel and like speaking that's, of boys who played in the eighties, Mike yeah. Vernon right there, and he won yeah. a cup in the eighties with Calgary as well. Yeah, yeah. So but I, I feel like that's gonna change pretty soon. Um, just because like, you know, when you consider the fact that like the the game has gotten more defensive and there's been more stuff out there that resources for, for goalies, um, like, you know, like better coaching, better pads, um, and all that stuff, so um, and also, like, the, the trap defense and how, like, even though, like, scoring's been up in recent years, it's still, like, it's it's a pretty much a rarity that you're going to get, like, a seven to eight game kind of thing. So, but, uh, but yeah, definitely Carey Price is going to, once he officially retires, he's going to the Hall of Fame first ballot. Um, there's probably a couple of other guys. Maybe, like, Mika Kippersoff you can make a case for. Pekka Rene. Um, in a few years, so um, I could see could see those guys getting in, but but yeah, Curtis just Joseph, Curtis we Joseph, keep forgetting there. is still not in the Hall of Fame, and I think this is a good yeah. omen because yeah, Vernon and Barrasso are waiting a long time, and they finally got in, 
And yeah. now as we start to, to count down the years and maybe there's a year where, you know, more spots are opening up, yeah. I think Cujo's time is, is coming. It's yeah. just not this year. You could make the same case with Cujo, though, with Tom Barrasso's, like, the fact that he played for a very good team. It's like uh, offensive team. Um, but you can make the case that, like, his success wasn't necessarily contributed to um, to it. But, yeah, like, you could just put in, like, Joe Schmo in Detroit, and he'd probably be pretty good on those teams. But, um, but yeah, granted, he, he also played well uh, in St. Louis and Edmonton and Toronto and Phoenix and Calgary. So it wasn't just Detroit. Um, and he only played in two two years in Detroit, so maybe, I don't know. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking there, about. It should be noted that in back-to-back seasons in uh, the early 90s with yeah. the Blues, he faced over 2,200 shots. Yeah. Uh, he faced 2,202 in 92-93, the year after 2,382. Yeah. And then a few years later, his uh, first full season with Edmonton, he faced 2,144. Yeah. And there were a couple of years after that where he was pushing 2,000 as well. Mm. Uh, whereas Barrasso never faced 2,000 shots in a season once in his career. So yeah. I think you can make a bigger case for Cujo to be in the Hall of Fame personally. Yeah, yeah I guess that's a fair point. Uh, Pierre Turgeon... Also, I'm in a live newsroom. If, uh, if things are happening behind the scenes, that's why. Yeah, yeah. I, I do hear a phone, but it's, it? it's, uh, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, Pierre Turgeon, um, yeah, so I guess it's, like, you know, he had an okay career, um, you know, of course it's, like, impressive if you're, if you play for 19 years in the NHL, that's not, like, you know, you're probably pretty good, um, but, I don't know, it seems like it's, it's, he kind of had a pretty average career, so he kind of, it screams like Hall of Very Good um, type player, um, but yeah. So so I'm not necessarily sure um, if he should have made it. Um, but I guess it's like I don't know. I I guess I could see why uh, he got voted in. Um, and then um, Mike Vernon. Um, oh, I forgot to look at Mike Vernon. He's another goalie too. Um, yep. So well, it said three goalies. Yeah, so it's nice. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I guess you're right because of the goalies that it's it's probably like good for Cujo because he'll probably eventually get in. Um, but yeah, he had a so Cujo. Um, yeah, he played uh, a lot of his career in Calgary, um, but career wise. Vern and not Cujo, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Although Cujo did play later in his career in Calgary, yeah, just yeah. not for nearly as long. No, no, no. I, I got I, I'm my uh, I meant Vernon, but I, I said Cujo just because that was <laughs> we were just talking. about I him. didn't realize also that Vernon had a second stint in Calgary, yeah. but his career was pretty much done at that point. So yeah, pretty much. It well, was that, a short stint. I was just looking at Cujo's stats, and uh, he had a second stint in Toronto when he was like 41 years old. Yeah, and he same was, thing. His career was, was near the expiry yeah. date, but there was this time yeah. where he played um, like 20 games. Where Gruber freaked too. out on the ref, and he was called into the yeah. game, and he shut down Ovechkin and the Caps in the Leafs yeah. one uh, in a shootout. I think it was. So but that like was he, kind of his last year as an NHL. But like goalie. he had a sub nine hundred save percentage. Granted, that was like a te- that was like the terrible Toronto Maple Leafs teams. 
at that point in time. But uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and Vernon's final season in Calgary, the Flames weren't yeah. that good either. They yeah, were pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, even still, he played uh, 19 years um, in the season. Um, and um, although like a couple of these I've seen like, like he played two games in 1982-83 season and then one game in 83-84 granted he was like 19 and 20 in those seasons but uh, I guess hockey references counts that as 19 years um, and uh, yeah uh, he went uh, 385-274 and 92 uh, with a save percentage of 889 and a 3 GAA. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's decent. I mean, I, I guess there is something to being, like, still maintaining to be a goaltender for the same team for, like, t- a decade. Uh, so that's mostly probably why he got in. But, like, he never won a Bezina. He did win a Jennings one year, and he did win uh, the Conn Smythe. Um, oh wait, is that right? Yeah, the Consmites. Yeah, um, in in uh, '97 when Detroit won it. Okay, so so that's probably why, um, that, or that was that's a big reason there. He also won the Stanley Cup in '88, '89. Um, so with Calgary, so he has two Stanley Cups. So uh, so that's probably uh, helps with his resume and all that stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I guess it's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I, I can see why Tom Barrasso gets in. I can see why, um, uh, obviously, I can see why Lundqvist gets in. And, yeah, maybe the the fact that he has two Stanley Cups and he had a long career is the reason why Mike Vernon gets in. Um, but, yeah, and as you're mentioning, like, he played in a time when scoring was very high, so, so maybe, like, <laughs> the sub-900 save percentage um, is more justifiable. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so we'll we'll see. Um, but yeah, I guess it's it was a decent decent list. Um, what what's what was strange though, um, is that um, there was only one women induction this year. When apparently there you can allow for two female inductions, uh, which is fine I guess um, to have two. But like there's more females that should get in every year than just this one person. So it feels like it's just like something has to change in that regard. Cause it's like, uh, cause I feel like some years they don't even have a female hall of fame person in. Um, so something has to change, but, um, not, not to knock, uh, the Adulet who got in, but, um, yeah. Anyways, uh, do you have anything else on this hall of fame? induction list the one thing i will also say is that um pierre turgeon uh during his later years was more of a deaf player but um he had a couple of remarkable seasons um in the prime of his career and he was on some pretty good teams and people forget he scored over 500 goals and over 1300 points yeah. in his career that's that's a better stat line than Guy Carbono and he was elected in the Hall of Fame True. a few years ago. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, not, that's not that's like the, the superstar in the '90s that we really point to, right. but um, you know, he had he had some pretty good uh, seasons during his time in the show, and uh, and uh, especially on some of those underrated Islanders teams when they went to the conference finals uh, in '93 and eventually lost to Montreal. Uh, he was a big part of that offense over there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a decent point. Um, 
I guess it's like, you know, maybe you can talk me into it. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, okay. Um, we now go into other NHL news, um, as well. So, uh, yeah, this happened, uh, yesterday, uh, Ryan Johansson goes to Colorado and in return, Nashville, oh, and, uh, 50% retained and in return, Nashville gets Alex Galchenyuk. Um, this may, I mean, I think I can see this for both teams. Like, yeah, it's not like a definite, like one for one because Alex Galchenyuk is pretty much done at this point, but you know, he could be, um, like, you know, it's not equal to each other at this point, but Alex Galchenyuk could be, um, you know, he's kind of like a project and Nashville can kind of take on a project at this point because they're, they're not necessarily competing. Um, but yeah, you can see how, how he does, um, in that sense. He's also a free agent, so, uh, he's oh, yeah. not technically contract for next year. They still have to give him oh, a contract. Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair, fair point. They might not do. They'll just say, ah, yeah. we'll just take the cap space. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize Colorado had him in the first place, so, <laughs> so that's, that's something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nashville retaining half of the salary, by yeah, the way, yeah. so they save four million and they take on the other four. Yeah, yeah, so so maybe this is a cap thing, you're probably right then. Um, yeah, frees up uh, cap space for Nashville yeah. to do something, which yeah. I feel like it's going to be something big. But yeah, and Colorado gets like a, a second line center uh, that they can use around, and you know, four million is like, yeah, it's not like necessarily expensive, but it's not cheap either, and still not bad for for Colorado, I'm sure they'll take it. Um, and yeah, he could definitely he could definitely do something on that regard. Um, and because that was the th- the reason why Colorado didn't go far in the playoffs, I feel like is like yeah, of course McKinnon is great, but they never really and you know they were kind of affected by Landis Cog's injury, of course, but um, but yeah, the the fact that they never really truly. Um, uh, got like replace Kadri with someone else um, capable enough and uh, Ryan Johansson is apparently going to be that guy um, and um, I do think that Alex Newhook will eventually take that step next step but it's good to have some insurance of course um, and yeah Ryan, Ryan Johansson's de- uh, is very good as well so in his own right so um, it could like even if Newhook doesn't work out you can can just have him there um and and i know he's had his struggles but if you look at the amount of uh stellar seasons that he's had in the nhl um his breakout year he scored 33 goals yeah he's had uh let's see one two three four five seasons with at least 60 points one of them was uh, 71 um during his later stages with columbus before yeah. he got traded for seth jones um so there's there's still some pop in his game and he's turning 31 this july so he's still like you know maybe nearing the wrong side of 30 but like you can still get some good hockey out of Johansson as a second line center and they definitely have the weapons around him and um the offensive scheme to maybe get a couple more 60 point seasons out of Johansson there and you just basically um didn't really give up much to get a guy half retained his salary for another two years and Landis Cog isn't going to be playing this year anyway so you can use that cap space to 
to maybe add another piece to your team or keep more of the band together than you thought you could. So um, I think it's a good tight business by Joe Sackick. And, and of course, uh, in the in the case of Nashville, they get rid of a contract that um, I thought was probably going to be very difficult to move. And uh, now they have four million cash space to do whatever they want. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I would, I would, I wonder if because uh, like I guess it's not necessary. Like I, they probably won't sign Alex Galchenyuk, and so I get why they still do it. But I do wonder if they could have just squeezed out a, like a pick or something, even if it was like a late round pick from Colorado, because I feel like Ryan Johansson is worth even more than that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I guess on the onset, if they don't sign Alex Galchenyuk, it's like, okay, they just offloaded a contract, um, basically, but I feel like they could have gotten more for, for Ryan Johansson, but we'll see. Um, uh, then, um, uh, Sean Dursey goes to Arizona, um, and LA gets a 2024 second round pick. Um, yeah, this is another trade that kind of makes sense for both for, for both teams. Um, Arizona, uh, we, I, we kind of joked whenever we talked about Arizona, we're like, who is their like main defenseman? And it's like Yusuf Alamaki. And even though he had a decent, uh, season, it wasn't necessarily that great. Um, JJ Moser, um, is JJ okay. Moser was arguably their best all around defenseman. Yeah. But like the full season, but like if he's your, arguably your best defenseman you're, you're you don't have a good defensive core um yeah so uh yeah sean dursey uh he has he's um he had 38 points in 72 games last year um he has he's pretty good on the um on the, like the advanced stats metrics as well um and uh yeah so he's he's easily their best defenseman right now um, and the best part is, is that he's 24 years old and he has one more year left at 1.7 million. Um, and he's going to be an RFA the following year so they can kind of continue to be team friendly with him. Um, if he works out, of course. Um, and then, yeah, for the LA Kings side of things, it's like, of course, Sean Jersey's a very good player, but they have Brand Clark in the system. They have Jordan Spence in the system. They already have, uh, Drew Doughty, who's, you know, he still has some left in the tank. Um, so, so that's kind of why the LA Kings do it is because it's like, oh, wait, uh, we have someone valuable like Sean Dursey. We don't see him in, um, helping out in the long term. So they just trade him away um, and get something for him. And yeah, 2024 second round pick from Montreal, um, that, could nece- that could be a, a pretty high pick um, um, in, in some sense. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a good trade for both sides. I feel like. Yeah. Uh, also uh, drafted by Toronto, and I believe this uh, he was part of the Jake Muzzin trade. Yeah. So uh, that Jake Muzzin uh, branch of the tree um, kind of turns into a second round pick. That honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if the Kings don't keep that pick and they trade it somewhere else yeah, yeah. to maybe get a future piece that they're looking for. There are rumblings that. Apparently, they're pursuing Pierre-Luc Dubois, of course. At the time of this recording, no deal is in place, but it sounds like uh, chatter is picking up and they're trying to work something out. It would not surprise me if this pick is getting flipped again in the not-too-distant future. As for Sean Dursey, you mentioned the fact that he had 38 points. He also had 27 points as a rookie 
um, the year prior. Uh, also, power play-wise, uh, can really put up the points, which is something that I think Arizona kind of needs to fill the void of since Goss Bear left. Uh, 14 power play points as a rookie, 16 uh, this past year. Also a bit of a shot-blocking machine, 121 as a rookie, 142 his second year. Uh, the one thing I will say about Jersey is that he hasn't averaged 20 minutes a game in a season yet. He's come close in both of his first two seasons, but if you're looking at Sean Dursey right now on this uh, decor for Arizona, you're probably expecting him to play like 22, 23 minutes a night, and I'm interested to see how he's uh, going to be handled. Uh, he's going to be able to handle that playing time because not too many guys can um, can play at that level. Like some guys, their ceiling is a second pairing guy. They're good like that. But if you ask them to, you know, be a top line contributor, uh, a premier choice on the power play or the penalty kill, not everyone responds to it just the same way, especially on a team like Arizona, where you're probably going to be giving up a lot of shots. The goals are probably going to come fast and furious and go into your net a lot of the time. Uh, you're probably going to be facing a lot of penalty kill situations because you're so behind the eight ball uh, compared to everyone else. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Jersey is going to be thrown into the fire, and uh, hopefully he's ready for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I was just looking at because uh, I was like, oh, that's odd that it was like a the Montreal traded away their their second round pick, even if it was in the future, because this was a little bit, you know, I guess, I guess they they kind of had been in rebuild mode for the last couple seasons, so I was wondering how did Arizona even get that pick to begin with, and I realized. Right. It was uh, that uh, Christian Dvorak trade. Um, so um, when the, they kind of realized that Kotka Niemi was going elsewhere. So that was when they were kind of trying to see if they could compete. And uh, they ended up giving up a second, a 2024 second round pick and thought that, like, oh, that's going to be a late round pick at that point. And little did they know, that's not how it worked out. Um, speaking of Arizona, though. Uh, they, uh, this actually just happened, Steve. Um, so, uh, so you haven't even heard this and I'm telling you this for the first time, uh, Arizona signs Connor Ingram, um, for a three year deal worth $1.95 million. Um, so, um, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure exactly how his stats were working, but if, um, I do know that he was like a backup for Vel- Milka. Um, yeah, he had a 3.37 GAA in 27 games, along with a 907 state percentage, yeah. which on that Coyotes team is honestly pretty good. Yeah. Also, I saw that tweet from Friedman uh, yesterday that it looked like it was going to happen. It just wasn't yeah. officially official yeah. until I refreshed uh, it okay. finally. So. I had an idea that it was coming. So either this means he's going to be the star next year and Romelka gets traded or they really like that tandem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what What's funny is that that happened... Um, or what's what's crazy is is you, like... Like, I thought, like, I was telling you news here. So I guess I didn't know that. But even still, like, you, you knew his stats right, right on the top of your head <laughs> somehow. Um, yeah, well, the, the beauty just, of Cat Friendly is they have it for me most of the time. Got so. it, got it, got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, in other news here from, like, a signing perspective, um, 
Eric Halla signs a three-year deal worth 3.81, uh, sorry, <laughs> with an annual average value of 3.15 um, million, not definitely not 3.8. Um, yeah, so th this one, uh, he was a decent depth piece uh, for sure. He was also involved in that Pavel Zaka, Eric Halla trade um, last se off season. Um, yeah, so they they make it work here, but yeah, he's a decent. Um, third line center for them and that's not too bad um yeah we talked about the devils last week with uh jesper bratt so um yeah it makes sense that they're they're just uh, locking up the, some other guys here um but yeah it does make you wonder it's like okay when are they going to sign uh timo meyer um and all that stuff but yeah you know uh hall is a decent uh death piece for the devils and something that they can work towards or he's um, he could end up being a, a big part of their, like, playoff run eventually because that's kind of what you need in the playoffs is just depth guys, and um, he's certainly a depth guy. <laughs> yeah, and I think, um, you know, if you want to be the cream of the crop, you need guys like Eric Halla. Um, not only uh, is he a good offensive centerman, but his face-off win percentage has been consistently good throughout his career. Mm. Uh, in his third season, it was at 53.3%. Uh, you look at um, the past four years, 54.1, 55, 53.8. This year, 54.2. Um, and he even has uh, some pop in that stick because in his uh, first of two seasons with Vegas, he had 11 power play yeah. goals. That was uh, during the Golden Misfits era where they were – uh, the new kids on the block in the NHL. Um, so if you need to put him into a high leverage situation, chances are he's going to be able to handle it. And uh, the past couple of years, um, that depth goal scoring has been pretty good. 18 goals uh, in 2021-22. It's only with the Bruins. And this past year, 14 goals. Um, so, you know, for what he is, uh, definitely a good price tag to have him at. Good term. Nothing too crazy, not like a four-year or five-year deal like some bottom six forwards get. Um, so I like that aspect. There's a little bit of no trade protection, which I think is probably, um, you know, the price that the Devils had to pay to get him at that affordable rate. But assuming, you know, the team doesn't fall to pieces, it's not a deal that's going to hurt them necessarily. Right, right, right. Um, speaking of depth pieces... Uh, Jordan Stahl signs a four-year deal uh, worth $3.45 million. Um, he has a, what's even crazier is... Well, it's actually 2.9, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, you're, you're right, I got that wrong. Um, I was looking Which at... Which is like half of his old cap hit, too, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. that's great savings for Carolina. Got it. Because uh, I was looking at his actual cap-friendly page, and I guess I was looking at the base salary and not his cap hit, so you're right. Ah, uh, okay. Got it. Um, but, uh, yeah, his cap hit is 2.9, um, and what's, what's crazier is, well, one, he's 34 years old, and secondly, uh, his first three years are no movement clause, um, and then he has a no trade clause in his last year where he'll be eight, 38 years old, um, so <laughs> it's, it's kind of, I don't know why he has a no movement clause, or, like, they, he kind of goes the Joe Pavelski route where he just keeps on signing these one-year deals um, for the rest of his uh, career. But, um, but yeah, I guess at the same time, he, he is a, another decent um, 
depth piece for Carolina. So, you know, I can't say that it, it's not going to be worth it. And at 2.9, that's that's pretty good. But, um, but yeah, at the same time, you're like, well, wait a second. He's, he's pretty old. <laughs> so um, I, I'm not sure I necessarily love it because uh, it's so long at four years. But um, I can also see why Carolina does it. The thing with Carolina is, like, they've got a lot of their forwards and eventually a lot of uh, their blue liners in the coming years uh, creeping up on the end of their contracts, and they have a lot of cap space to play around with. And uh, this offseason, Jordan Stahl uh, was one of the names that they had to sort out. And it's more like next offseason where they're going to have some tough decisions to make of who to keep um, and who to part ways with. And... um, I've heard in trade rumors that Brett Pesci might be a guy they move on from. Honestly, not sure how I feel about that. I think he's still a key part of uh, this blue line. Uh, But having a guy like Jordan Stahl at a discount, he's your captain, um, a guy that is well-liked around the locker room in the community. Um, I'm glad they were able to come to an agreement, and it gives them savings to, you know, maybe give Sebastian Ajo more of what he wants uh, on uh, his contract when it's time to pay him. They're eligible to give him an extension once we hit uh, July 1st, or as we like to call it here in Canada, Canada Day. Uh, um, but um, I, 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 I thought it was a decision where I felt if they thought Sebastian Ajo was ready to take the lead and be that guy and he was going to stick around for the long haul, they could be the future captain of the Hurricanes, and they'd be comfortable with uh, parting with with Jordan Stahl potentially. But uh, getting him at that rate, um, obviously the no trade, the no move stuff is, you know, again that's the price to pay for getting guys at an affordable rate like that. Especially, you know, your captain who's willing to take a home down discount to to keep the team, the fans, the owners happy. And it's it's a it's a very good gesture by Jordan Stahl, and it also shows you that he believes in what this team is selling, and he believes in this group uh, of of players, uh, the coaching staff, um, which is something that I don't think really existed in Carolina during their worst of the worst years, like a decade ago when attendance was low. Um, I think it speaks volumes that Jordan Stahl was willing to take this deal because. It just it just shows you the bigger picture of what Carolina's building here. So I like it for Jordan. I like it for the team, and uh, hopefully it works out well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, uh, so now we get onto the draft, which is on Wednesday, um, June twenty eighth. If I'm doing my math correct. Um, yep, that is right. And so we have uh, we we have kind of I guess there's like three big parts of the off season. Um, we kind of wanted to do like a little off-season preview here. So one is the draft, one is free agency, and one is trades. Of course, you can't really predict trades, but we have something fun lined up in, in a few, uh, probably granted like maybe like 15 minutes for now. Um, <laughs> and um, But we're going to start off with the draft because that's a little bit more um, tangible um, and it's about to happen this week. So. Um, and we'll, of course, we're going to cover our takeaways uh, the following week or uh, in the next episode. So, um, so yeah, there you go. But we're going to start off. Um, so first is the first question we have is what are our top five in the draft? Um, I think both of us have Connor Bedard, obviously, um, number one. 
Um, and then we both have Adam Fantilli, number two. Um, because it's, it's funny because this, this draft has kind of drawn parallels to the 2015 draft simply because like we haven't seen anyone as good as um, like, or Connor Bedard is drawing comparisons to Connor McDavid uh, simply because uh, Connor Bedard has been incredible in the CHL um, and we haven't seen anyone like that since Connor McDavid has um, in 2015. And then the same thing can be said about Adam Fantilli in the NCAA. Uh, Adam Fantilli had the second best season um, in the NCAA um, as a freshman uh, compared to, and Jack Eiffel has the best uh, season. So, so that, like, and we've, we've kind of already talked about Adam uh, Fantilli and Connor Bedard, of course. Uh, but those, there, there was some reports that Anaheim might pick Matt Vey Mitkoff. Mitchkoff or Leo Carlson um, instead of Fantilli, and I guess it's because Fantilli might go back to Michigan. Um, but either way, even if um, even if Fantilli goes back to Michigan next year, um, there you know he's definitely the second overall pick. I don't understand how the Anaheim Ducks don't pick him, um, but I, I guess I can see it. Um, and, you know, not to besmirch Matt Faye, Mitkoff, or Leo Carlson. Leo Carlson had uh, 25 points in 44 games um, in the Swedish Hockey League, um, and that's very good. As a rookie, he also, like, had, like, a very impressive showing in the World Juniors. Um, and then, oh, sorry, sorry, 25 points in uh, 44 games. Um, and then um, Matt Faye, Mitkoff had... Um, 20 points in 30 games um, in the KHL. The thing with him is is that um, he's going to be in the KHL for three more years, um, and uh, some teams may not want that. Um, and there's also like the fact that like he's a Russian prospect. You don't know when that's like when he's truly going to be there. At the same time, I remember like like a year ago, uh, like it was considered that it's like. Mitkoff, Bedard, and um, and Fantilli were like the three picks that you couldn't go wrong with. Um, so it could be like a very similar situation to a Kaprizov or Kucherov situation. So I yeah. like that's probably the most interesting aspect of the draft is that like it's very likely that Columbus could take him at three, but it, like if he doesn't, and I think that's what's going to happen, he could fall to another team. And then pretty soon, like that team's gonna like get uh, pay dividends to it because once he's in the league, he's gonna be twenty one years old, um, and he's gonna be very very good. Leo Carlson, in his own right, is gonna be good. So even if some team picks him up, um, as instead of Mitchkoff, I I don't blame them. Uh, same with Will Smith. He uh, he was drawing comparisons to Jack Hughes. I think he had like a very good uh, season compared to. Like, I think he had, like, the second-best season on the USNTP team uh, besides Jack Hughes, uh, who had the best. Um, so so that's, like, another guy, too, to consider. So those – I'm just telling you five guys here. Um, but I have a feeling that Matt Faye Mitkoff is probably going to fall. Um, so my top five will be um, – it's going to go Bedard, Fentilli, Mitchkoff, Carlson. Um, oh, sorry, sorry. Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Will Smith, and then the last one is 
probably going to be Zach Benson. Um, he um, he's kind of been their be- the best player of those guys I didn't mention. Um, he uh, yeah he has a 98 points in 60 games in the, the WHL as well. So I guess in the same league as Connor Bedard. Um, and yeah he um, yeah he he's he's also been very very good as well. So um, so yeah I, I think those would be the picks there. Um, I also had heard rumors that Mishkov really wants to play with Ovechkin. Um, and um, to the Capitals point... Capitals picked 7th overall for the eighth, record. 8th, 8th. Um, okay, close right. enough. Yeah, but yeah, you're, 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 not, you're not wrong. Um, and uh, there were reports that, uh, like, to the point where he would... I don't know how much I believe this, but um, there were reports that he would... Uh, he would not sign with the team unless it was the Washington Capitals. Um, but see, this is interesting uh, because this is exactly what happened with Yarmer Yager. Yeah, with fair. the Penguins. Yeah, good because point. he uh, in if you redo the draft, he probably goes first overall in this right. draft year, nineteen ninety. But he was he was like, eh, I don't know if I want to sign right away. Right. Um, and that's why teams steered away from him. But then when Pittsburgh came up, he was just like, I'll sign right away. Yeah, yeah. And that's how he became a Pittsburgh Penguin. That's how they fell to their lap at fifth overall. Right, right. But what's what's interesting about that is is like the reason why you want to play for the Washington Capitals is because of Ovechkin, and you know I get that too because he's like a a legend in in Russia, of course. Um, and you have Kuznetsov. They just drafted Miroshenko uh, last year, so it's like you know the Capitals have a very obviously have a very good track record with Russians. But because of this fact that he's still signed on to the KHL for three more years, like Ovechkin's not going to be in the league in three more years. So, uh, so that part I don't necessarily understand because then it's like, wait a second, is he going to be in the NHL? If, if he get like right now, if he's drafted by the Capitals, I don't necessarily know. Um, but so that's why I don't necessarily buy it because it's like the timing doesn't necessarily work if he wants to be there and play with Ovechkin, which I can totally understand. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that would be uh, that would be pretty interesting, and that's where I actually think he will go because I can't see Washington passing on him if he's available. Um. But yeah, anyways, uh, who, I guess, like, is there a different take on, like, who is in your top five that I didn't mention? Um, so my uh, top five is, for the most part, uh, exactly the same as yours. Yeah. So obviously, Bedard's going first. Yep. Chicago's not passing him. Uh, Adam Fantilli, while I have heard the Leo Carlson, that Matt Fimichkov rumors that and I may take one of them instead of Fantilli, I don't, I don't buy the Kool-Aids. I think Fantilli goes to the Ducks. Uh, Leo Carlson, I think, would be a perfect fit in Columbus. David Reinbacker, oh, one of the uh, top-rated defensemen, yeah. uh, is going to the Sharks at fourth overall. Why? Because the Sharks need defense, and they need younger defense. Yeah, and I think for the sake of positional need, they'll take Reinbacker, even though the uh, other options are very tantalizing. And then, uh, I don't know if Siri's listening, but uh, play the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air music because uh, Will Smith's getting drafted by the Habs at number five. Oh, wow. Uh, and that's my top five. Uh, I think Mitchkov, actually. I it, it would, It's going to be interesting to see how far his draft stock falls. I'm going to predict he goes at number nine to the Red Wings. Okay. 
And in a couple of years, as that team continues to develop its prospect pool, um, he's going to fit right in and become like an instant playmaker for them. Zach Benson is another guy that's on my radar. So is uh, Ryan Leonard, Dalibor Dvorsky. I've heard he could be a solid top 10 pick for somebody. And uh, Colby yep. Barlow, underrated goal scorer, that's well, um, yeah. it's probably going to go in the middle stage of the first round. That's another guy I got my eye on. Well, yeah, we're, we're, I guess that you kind of uh, went a little bit ahead on the questions. <laughs> that was my next question of any prospects outside of the top five that we're interested in. But yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I guess if Montreal drafts Will Smith, then uh, they should just call it the Montreal Americans because they have Cole Caulfield and Will Smith. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, I'm not necessarily like I feel like this. You might be right because I feel like the Sharks always like draft weirdly. But Montreal also passed on Shane Wright last year, so yeah, so they could also go off the green as well. Um, so uh, in terms of so yeah, you already said all the prospects outside of the top ten that five that we are interested in. Um, I'm if you because we've been doing this for a long time. I think there's. Um, I'm, I kind of gravitate more towards prospects who, like, played in the NCAA uh, as an 18-year-old, and, um, and they're really good, kind of like a Dylan Holloway type thing or Tage Thompson. Yeah. Um, so I think you know where I'm going with this. But uh, I am interested to see where Matthew Wood goes to. Uh, he had 34 points in 35 games for UConn. Um, pretty similar to where... Uh, uh, Will um, Tage Thompson, who also went to UConn as well. Um, he was a UConn guy. How yeah, about that? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, um, yeah, so... I also didn't realize that Adam Fantilli played for the Chicago Steel. He, he went the yeah. exact opposite of the route that a, 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 a typical hockey player right. willing he's to Canadian, make it... Uh, eager to make it big. You know, he was born in Toronto, and yeah. he's, he's going the all-American route. It's yeah, I know. I, I remember... Uh, I, I knew that he was Canadian a couple of months ago, but it is a little strange because I'm like, wait a second, he's... Uh, he's Canadian. Because I thought it was... like Because you could even draw even more comparisons to Jack Eichel that way, too, but... Yeah, I'm no. curious if Kyle Dubas influenced his decision because he went to yeah. play for, guess who, the Chicago Steel in yeah. the USHL. Um, other guys, uh, Gavin Brindley, uh, he played for Michigan with Adam Fantilli, uh, but he was also pretty good. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. that Adam Fantilli kind of uh, took over the reins there or took most of the attention there, but... Yeah, when points. you're a top three yeah. scorer in the NCAA, it's tough yeah, yeah. to ignore that. So, so, but uh, yeah, even still though, Brindley had 38 points in 41 games. Um, mm-hmm. if, uh, so, but like, of course, with a lot of these like Michigan role players, you never really know because uh, the, they're always so stacked um, in recent years that you don't know how they're going to play without those like superstar players. So I am curious to see where Gavin Brindley goes. Like, even, I think Michigan's not going to be as stacked this year, um, unless, you know, Fantilli comes back. But, like, um, there's a chance there. Um, I like Quinton Musty. Um, yeah. He, uh, he could be decent. He has a cool name. But besides that, 78 points in 53 games. Um, and, like, yeah, uh, has, like, almost a goal per game, pretty much. Or .49 goals per game. I should say, 
Um, and then Andrew Cristal is another one that's interesting to me, um, who'll go in the first round. Um, and Braden Yeager is the other one that I've been interested yeah. in as well. 78 points in 67 games. Um, yeah, and like, so like in the, uh, in the WHL as well. Um, so I feel like a lot of the WHL guys who aren't named Connor Bedard get kind of undershadowed because of Bedard and how he's been doing. But yeah, the WHL did very, very well this year in terms of like their draft class. Because usually it's like a mixture of like OHL, QMJHL, and WHL. But like, I, like I'm like i looking at this list here because I'm doing some draft prep from a fantasy perspective. And like a lot of these guys are in the WHL. And like there's a few OHL guys, but not a ton of, and not a ton of QMJHL guys. But yeah, there's like pretty much everyone's in the WHL here. So, um, so yeah, that's that's interesting too. And lastly, I guess I should mention uh, Trey Augustine. Um, he's gonna be the he's the best goaltender in the league. It's or in this draft class, it seems. Um, it appears. Um, so I'm just curious where he goes and what what team goes wants him and like what round he goes because I don't think he's gonna be a first round pick, but I could definitely see him being taken in the second round um so there's uh, one guy in my mind that fits out and um i'm gonna shout out my inner ottawa sports bias luca pinelli ottawa 67s oh, yeah. forward uh, great later, regular yeah. season even better playoffs uh for i think it was the first two rounds he was one of the ohl's top scorers uh during the six sevens playoff round that yeah. ended sooner than a lot of people would have liked but he took um big big steps this year and I don't think he's a first-round pick. If he is, it's the late first round. But I can definitely see him going in the second round, and whoever gets him is going to get themselves one heck of a player, too. So Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm interested to see. Uh, he'll probably go to a team that's already good, like, I don't know, Tampa or something. No, no, that's a good call. Um, in terms of uh, – so the, the last question we have on the draft, and, of course, we're going to uh, recap the draft now, uh, next week. But um, – this one is more just team centric on like curious on what they do uh what teams should we keep an eye on in the draft um i do see i mean obviously i think it's what will be interesting is after the first three picks the rest of the draft is pretty much just a free-for-all um so i am kind of like curious if like there's any team that trades up just so that they can get matt uh mitchkoff um because of that, but I am I am kind of interested in in what the San Jose Sharks do because they usually mm-hmm. don't even have a first round pick, but they have two this year, um, one from the Devils and one is their own. Um, so I am curious just to see like because usually we're not, we're not used to the San Jose Sharks rebuilding, um, but the fact that they have two first round picks this year, um, I am just curious to see how what they do. Of course, I'm curious on. Chicago because they have a lot of room. They're basically like an expansion team at this point because they pretty much have no contracts, um, long-term contracts besides Seth Jones. Uh, they have a, you know, obviously they have Connor Bedard at one, but then there's uh, 19. They have a uh, pick uh, from from the Lightning. So, um, so yeah, I'm curious to see where what Chicago Blackhawks do in order to, like, uh, help out Connor Bedard um, early on. So, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that that is a good point uh, with Chicago there. Um, man, there are a lot of teams that um, I'm interested to follow. Obviously, you know, you have all of Western Canada, the Jets, the Flames, yeah. the Canucks. For ages, we've been talking about, hey, on trap day, they're probably going to do some things. Yep. And yet we haven't really heard much chatter on the Canucks yet. Um, and then there's, of course, the Oilers and, you know, what they might do to improve their team, even though I think that's going to be a tougher task than people give it credit for. Mm. Um, boy, oh, boy. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like we should watch out for the Kings. Yeah. Uh, we've said that earlier in the show. Um, you know, what happens, you know, with that Pierre-Luc Dubois rumblings, if they're able to get a deal done closer to draft day or even days before that even if they get Pierre-Luc Dubois I'm convinced the Kings are not done because there are rumblings as we mentioned that Victor Arvidsson was going to be in play and I still think he might be because who says the Kings are done adding after Pierre-Luc Dubois if they end up landing Dubois Um, I I can really see them as a front runner for Austin Matthews next year if he hits the open market because it's close to Arizona. There's, you know, think of the, you know, sponsorship deals you could get in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. the business opportunities there. And we've seen Austin Matthews on a fair amount of commercials here in Canada as well. Uh, So he's definitely a guy that, you know, in terms of TV spotlight, is a guy that I think could fit right in there. And you also have Kopitar's $10.5 million cap hit coming off the books after next season. So you could probably keep him at, you know, in a lesser role, a bit of a hometown discount, maybe like a three, three point five million, and you just give the rest to Austin yeah. Matthews to whatever his contract ends up being. And there's also the goaltending situation too. Maybe they swing a deal for Connor Hellebuck, who knows? Or maybe yeah. it's a John Gibson, perhaps. Um, so there there are a lot of um, balls in the air. Uh, with the Kings, uh, but I do have a feeling they're going to be swinging for the fences. Uh, I just don't know if it's going to be on draft night or not, but um, I'm interested to see uh, more so what they do, and also the prospects that we thought were pretty safe a couple years ago that all of a sudden could wind up on different teams because of how quickly things have changed over there. Yeah, I guess I guess that is a team to be uh, take an eye on for draft day because they do have a lot of prospects that they could potentially trade for a big name. I don't think it's going to be Austin Matthews, uh, but uh, but yeah, they could definitely get a decent player um, out of it uh, on draft day. Um, also, like the New Jersey Devils, they're kind of in a similar yeah, situation. Yeah, I thought about them too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they have a lot of prospects, so they don't necessarily need to pick a lot of guys in this draft in particular. Carolina is so, another one as well. Yeah, Carolina with the amount a, of guys coming up uh, at the end of their, their contracts, entering yeah. contract years. The thing with Carolina, though, is their prospect pool isn't as deep as LA and uh, New Jersey's is, but uh, but uh, yeah, I could I don't really group them like that, but yeah, I am from, from like a trade perspective and things like that, yeah, I guess, I guess you do have a point there. Um, also Buffalo, too. Yeah. With all the cast space that oh, they yeah, have, yeah, they could be a team that could, could swing a deal or two. True, true. Uh, yeah, they, they would be interesting for sure. Um, I'm also just curious to see what uh, Seattle does because they usually – they yeah. they drafted very well last year. Um, very, very So well. I'm wondering if they that can continue. 
Uh, Dallas always has been drafting well the last couple of years, so I'm curious what they do. But, of course, they don't even have a first-round pick this year. So um, so I'm curious what Dallas does in, in terms of the draft. Of like, I'm sure they're going to find like a, a late a late pick uh, that's going to turn into like someone amazing <laughs> the following year or something. So, uh, they always, they always pick well. Um, and yeah, so yeah, Seattle, Dallas kind of stands out from like a draft perspective. Um, and Arizona actually drafted pretty well last year too, but, um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, okay. Um, in terms of, I guess this is a good segue because we're going to start talking about the free agency and trades. I was thinking of like, asking you of like where do we think Patrick Kane's gonna go where do we think Tarasenko's gonna go um but then I was just thinking like I'm not sure like it was like who cares really because they're you know they're old guys and all that stuff and it's also like I feel like this this is gonna be the year because it's like it feels like it's a weaker free agency class there's a lot of rumors out there that like Connor Hellebuck's gonna get traded um and all that stuff um, and like even Carter Hart might be on the move. Um, so, so I feel like there's going to be a lot more trades of significance, but yeah, definitely um, in terms yeah. of notable trades versus notable signings, I think yeah. you'll definitely see more in the trade front. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, so I have this, uh, question here on, um, on the top three things that you want to, we want to see this summer or that we're curious about. Um, so I guess uh, I, I, this has a very easily potential for one of us to have a similar thing that we're we're both interested in. You seeing. know, I'm gonna I'm gonna laugh my ass off if that's the case because out yeah. of all the headlines, if we still come up with the same one, like yeah, at this at this point, I just throw my hands up in the air and say, I okay. Give up. <laughs> so so how about this? You because I have a couple in mind. I feel like it makes sense that you go first, so then I it gives me more time to prepare for another take in case in case that happens. So, what is the, the first thing that you want to see this summer? Whether that's a free agency signing or a big trade or where someone will go, uh, what what is your first uh, thing that I'm you're interesting looking so for your about? Um, as the storyline that I really want to happen this offseason, Connor Halbuck in a New Jersey Devils jersey, uh, and. It makes sense for both teams, and I'll explain. Uh, as you mentioned in the previous episode, the Winnipeg Jets are a team that, if you're looking for guys in the prime of their careers that are willing to sign anywhere, you will rarely see anyone choose Winnipeg. You either, if you're the Jets, you either draft and develop and keep your guys here and give them long-term deals, um, and that's your path forward, maybe you improve through trade, but free agency is almost a non-option for this team. Um, you need scouting, drafting, developing to get to the stage where Winnipeg was at for several years, which is being a Stanley Cup contender. And now it seems as though those contending days are starting to pass uh, this current core by. So if you're the Winnipeg Jets, you need to get a big haul for Connor Hellebuck. Thankfully, the New Jersey Devils have practically everything you could want. You want a young goal scorer with NHL potential? Alexander Holtz is there. You want a guy that can play in all defensive situations? He's got a promising future as a blue liner on any NHL team. Simon Nemec is right there. 
uh, just drafted by New Jersey literally in the previous draft. And, hey, if you want a future young goaltender, you have a bunch of options, too, because the Devils have Nico Dawes. They also have Akira Schmid, who uh, got some NHL minutes uh, in the playoffs, no less, as well as the regular season this past year. And then, of course, you have a guy like Vitek Vanacek, who um, has spent several seasons in the NHL, who knows his way around the block. And if you're looking for one of those guys, if you trade away Hellebuck, Vanacek could fit that role as well. Um, and also, I'm sure they'd be willing to give up, you know, a first-round pick here, a second-round pick there, because if you're the New Jersey Devils, if you're getting this goaltender, you don't have to worry about giving up a top-ten pick because you're not going to suck. This guy is at the prime, the height of his career, and we've seen what Connor Helba can do on an average Jets team. 37 wins. Uh, top three in shots faced doesn't matter. He's top three in shots saved. Um and his goals against average and his save percentage were absolutely phenomenal last year and there have been you know a couple of average seasons in between but for the most part his play in winnipeg has been nothing short of spectacular and it's clear what the jets are like without him in the lineup when he's not playing they're an average team and connor hallibuck can take this new jersey yep. team to astronomical heights also Imagine Connor Hellebuck going up against Igor Shashirkin four times a year. Like, Devils and Rangers, with the amount of defensive showdowns, uh, with the amount of, you know, high-octane offense that those two teams play on a nightly basis, imagine you have an absolutely stacked, an absolutely stacked uh, head-to-head matchup between the pipes now. You, you could be looking at, for years... One of the best rivalries, if not the best in hockey. And I truly think it's going to get to that level already. Already it has, where every game is much-watched TV between these two teams. Um, It's going to get even better if Hellebuck joins this rivalry. Um, And if if you want even more proof that it's written in the stars, Hell is literally in his last name, and the Devils are Satan's team. So (laughs) just get those two GMs in a room and hammer out a deal. What, what more can you say? Hellbuck in a New Jersey Devils uniform, it makes too much sense for me. Yeah, um, I, I kind of had this prediction as well, in a sense, because I was, I was going to go with goalies in general. I feel like it's going to be interesting because there's a lot of storylines here. I wasn't going to predict Hellbuck in particular to New Jersey, although because I, I figured you, because I think you've mentioned this to me as well, is that that's where you think he's going to go. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it makes a lot of sense, like, particularly because I feel like a lot of teams are going to learn from what happened last year or the last two years with uh, like, oh, Matthew Kachuk, he wants out. Okay, he goes to Florida, and then all of a sudden they're in the Stanley Cup Finals. Oh, Jack, I The other factor for Winnipeg is maybe Connor Elbuck is willing to sign long-term with the Devils, which oh. automatically amps up the price yeah, yeah. that the Jets are looking for if he's willing to sign okay. long-term. And I definitely think the Devils are one of those teams where it's just like, hey, I want to stay beyond this season. I'm willing to commit to this group. Right, right. Um, and then there's also Jack Eichel. It's like, oh, Jack Eichel wants out. You, you kind of interrupted my, my whole thing, but whatever. <laughs> um, Jack Eichel wants out. He goes to Vegas. They win the Stanley Cup. 
And so I, I feel like there's there's a trend going on, and you know, Hellebuck wants out. New Jersey's probably like, oh, like okay, Matthew Kachuk, Jack Eichel, that that happened. Another American wants out of their their team. All right, let's take let's take Connor Hellebuck, um, and go there. So yeah, I do agree with you. Um, I guess I I can kind of jump into another topic that I I'm kind of interested in. Uh, that's kind of pretty similar, uh, but. Because, like, I was thinking that, yeah, I'm not, I, I agree with you. I think the Devils are going to take Connor Hellebuck, but uh, but I am interested to see what Carolina does. And when I was looking at the free agency market, I was like, um, just in terms of goalies, like, yeah, Aiden Hill, of course, is very interesting. Um, so I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess I'll go with... Um, because, I mean, you might be able to talk about this as well, but, like, you know, Eden Hill is interesting because he, he just put on an incredible run in Vegas. Um, there's Corpusalo, who was, like, unbelievable in L.A. when he got there, and then he also played well in Columbus. Um, so I am curious to see where he goes. Uh, Freddie Anderson, even though he's often injured, um, he is a very capable goaltender when he's healthy, so I'm curious what, what happens with him. But what I'm most interested in in seeing is where Carter Hart's going to go. Because uh, yeah. uh, I feel like, yeah, I, I think we you've mentioned this before as well in a, a couple weeks ago, but that, like, yeah, those, those three guys, and, like, even you could add in Tristan Jari into the mix. Um, there's probably a few other goalie free agents that are... Uh, interesting for a lot of uh, teams in the goalie carousel that's going to happen every year. But, uh, uh, so Connor Hellebuck could go down to um, New Jersey. It seems like, we didn't really talk about this because it didn't end up happening, but Philadelphia and St. Louis were about to get into like a 4-4-4 uh, type trade. Uh, Kevin Hayes was going to be involved, but it later got nixed because um, because Tory Krug uh, didn't want to go to Philly, um, basically. Uh, so so it turns out that's not happening. But or at I, least it's or at least it's been haltered exactly. for the time being. Right. Uh, and it's back to the drawing board, and they're trying to work something else. Yeah, out. yeah, that's that's totally fair. And like I wonder because what's interesting about St. Louis's cap structure is that um, like all their defensemen are on long term contracts. And they all signed a no trade clause, or they all have a no trade clause, and they just signed Scott Perunovich um, a couple of days ago. So it's like, wait, they they must have thought that this trade was going to go through. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right that St. Louis is making some type of move, but I I, I meant I bring that up only because it's like it's clear that okay Philadelphia is just clearing the deck now. So. Um, if they can take a get a taker for Kevin Hayes, they sure as hell will get a taker for Carter Hart or Carter Hart. Uh, he's making three point nine seven million dollars. Uh, he is twenty four years old, so he's still pretty pretty young. Um, I still believe in him, and he's also on an RFA. So if Philadelphia is going to go on a full rebuild, which it looks like they are, like, yes, you obviously want to keep Carter Hart <laughs> on a rebuilding team. So there's no reason to, for them to not to do that. But at the same time, when you look at this list, it's like, 
okay, Kevin Hayes, you can, like, his contract's going to be hard to move. I could see Travis Konechny getting moved, um, even, like, this week. I could see it that going on. But there were reports that Carter Hart might be on the move as well. So I'd be curious to see where what happens with them, uh, especially if, like, let's say Connor Hellebuck goes to New Jersey. Is it, like, Carter Hart might be the, the most, like, and, like, let's say Connor Hellebuck gets, a, like, a, a boatload of, like, assets for Winnipeg. Uh, I could see the Flyers being like, wait a second, we want that as well. And, uh, and they're more willing to trade uh, Carter Hart um, because it's like this team's not going to do well um, even if even in like next year or the year after that so uh, so it makes sense to like get what you can get out of Carter Hart because you you could get a lot a lot of picks and prospects and players for Carter Hart um, even though he hasn't been great uh, the last couple of seasons but I could totally see. Um, a move where Carter Hart goes somewhere. I'm not going to call my shot like you did to uh, uh, just now, but I, I have a feeling that Carter Hart's going to go. Carter Hart, come to Ottawa, buddy. You know you want to. <laughs> yeah, did I just like wish that into existence? I feel like I, uh, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't want him in the division. So I don't want him in the division. Hart or Konechny would be good fits on the Suns. Yeah, I could see Kinect- Yeah, you love Konechny. Isn't he like a former '67 as well, right? He is. Okay, so yeah, I could see that happening. But yeah, I, I guess, I guess I'll I'll group this as like I'm curious what also the Flyers are going to do. Also, teammates with Claude Drew, by the way, yep. Konechny, and learned a lot from him too. So. Yeah, yeah. True, true. Uh, so what is your second thing that you're looking forward to, Steve? Uh, what I hope happens, uh, the Sens pay Jake Sanderson and they pay him before the season starts. Um, because uh, I don't know if you've noticed, Brett, but he switched agents. And not just any agent, but he is now represented by Pat Brisson. Uh And this is why that's important. Uh, Nathan McKinnon signed the richest contract in NHL history last offseason. Who was his agent? Oh, some guy named Pat Brisson. John Tavares going home to Leafland, pajama boy. Guess who gave, Guess who helped him get that deal? Pat Brisson. Uh, Seth Jones at $9.5 million. Nowhere near worth yeah. that today, but Pat Brisson helped him get that. Uh, Matthew Shane, 8x8 in Nashville. Who was his agent when that deal was signed? Pat Brisson. Uh, he represents uh, Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes, and Luke Hughes as well. Uh, Cole Caulfield just got paid. Hey, would you look at that? Pepper Sons, his agent. Jason Robertson. Oh, look who's his agent. Uh, and then you also have the likes of Sam Gerard, Tony D'Angelo, um, who are some other notable players. Um, Tyler get the idea. potentially could get a big payday down yeah, the road. Sure. And there's also... Uh, Guys like uh, Patrick Kane, for example, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Speaking of Pierre-Luc Dubois, his agent is Pat Brisson as wow. well. Uh, so this is a guy who is not afraid to get into sticky situations and get the most bang for his buck and make his client happy. Matty Beneers, Owen Powers are some of the other youngsters wow. uh, on the up-and-coming that are represented by this guy. And now Jake Sanderson is going to be represented by Pat Brisson. If you look at uh, Jake Sanderson and what he was able to do as a rookie, a total of 289 NHL defensemen, this is according to the score.com, including 10 on the Ottawa Senators' blue line, logged 100 minutes 
this past year. On a per-game basis, Sanderson finished first on the team and fifth in the league in blocked passes. He also ranked first on his team in puck battle wins, 21st overall in the NHL. Uh, he uh, also ranked 10th uh, in block shots um, across the league and 10th, uh, or uh, first on the team, rather. Uh, also ranked second in stick checks, uh, stick checks and outlet pass completions, was third in zone entries, yep. fourth in zone exits. And this is a blue line that has Thomas Shabbat on it. Uh, as of next year, Jacob Chikrin for a full season. Artem Zoo, hopefully, for a full season. So the eye test and the other line numbers, uh, the article goes on to say, both suggest that Sanderson's high-end uh, capabilities at just the age of 20, I might add, are already at remarkable levels. And he was getting high praise from teammates like Drake Batterson. And uh, this quote in particular from Alex Debrinkit is also very interesting. Here's a little bit of what he said, quote, a lot of the defensemen coming up are more focused on offense than defense, but Jake's different. He's got that old school of mentality of protecting the puck, uh, protecting the front of our net while go before going on the attack. Um, so the way that he conducts himself on the ice, the way he thinks the game uh, is already at levels that could make him a very reliable defenseman, not just for this team, but across the league. And I think the Sens need to do what they did with Tim Stutzla this past offseason. And before he has his breakout year, pay him what you think he's going to be worth in a couple of years. So give him like a six by, I don't know, seven million, for example, just to put it out there. Whatever it takes to satisfy Jake Sanderson today to make it seem like a bargain moving forward. Um, that's what I hope Ottawa's going to do, um, because if he has another one of those seasons, uh, the Sens are going to be heading into next July knowing that they're going to have to pay Jake Sanderson, and they might have to pay him more than they thought they did. So hopefully Dorian takes the proactive route and Jake and uh, gets a long-term deal for Sanderson before his second season begins. So this was not on my radar. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I was thinking in terms of like this as like a league on the, like this, these three things, whereas like a league on the whole, I guess it makes sense since you are a Sens fan and Sens fans are interested in this. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, ultimately this, I, I thought you were going to go a completely different route on this, on this topic, but that's okay. Um, I also think it plays a role in the Debrinket negotiations yep, and fair. whether or not I was going to part with yep. him because while they would like to give Debrinket a lot of money, they know that this is going to happen in a yeah. you know a twelve months period but, where you're going to have to open the bank for Jake Sanderson now. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have the money to to satisfy his needs too? Yeah, yeah. I guess from that standpoint, yes. Then it's more related. I, um, and with all due respect to Debrinket, I would say Sanderson is more important to the long-term success of the uh, Sens than Debrinket is. Debrinket's good, don't mind you, but think of what Sanderson was hyped the, as. The thing he was, was hyped as, you know, a future yeah. top two defenseman in the in, in, on this team. I guess uh, I disagree with that point because one, on one hand, um, if because like I feel like Debrinket put the Senators on the map. Uh, yes, of course. In terms of like, 
Wait, can I... That was the first domino to fall. Yeah. Can I, uh, like, the the fact that, like, yeah, Brady Kachuk, of course, is great. Tim Sutzla is amazing. Um, And you also have Drake Batherson and, um, Mm -hmm. you you know, Claude Giroux was able to get there as well. But, like, the whole reason why, like... You are you're so excited about the Sens now, what, compared to like the last couple of years, was because of that trade you, you guys made to get DeBrincat, um, and you know I think there were reports that DeBrincat might not want to be there in Ottawa. So if that's the case, then yeah, you trade him. Uh, but um, but in terms of like if Derek Sanders, it just sorry Jake Sanderson, um, I think there was an NHL player named Derek Sanderson, but. Uh, anyways, yeah, there was. Yeah. He, he played for the Bruins. Yeah, if I'm not that's mistaken. probably why I got that confused. Uh, but uh, if Jake Sanderson isn't signed, I mean, I know he's on RFA and all that stuff. But um, they got Jacob Chikrin last year um, as well. They also have Thomas Shabbat. Both are so I don't like. And as good as those stats that you were mentioning are, like, I just don't see how Jake Sanderson is going to make more than Shabbat or Chikrin. Um, and in the sense that I don't feel like um, he's going to, like, like if, in terms of, like, his full potential, just because of those guys there, um, I don't think Sanderson will ever be, like, a big-time defenseman. Um, and only, you know, like, only the people who watch him every day, like you do, will appreciate him. But in terms of, like, a grand sense of the word, like, thing... Then, uh, then yeah, I, I think uh, I don't. I, I think it won't. A lot of people won't recognize how good he has been. Um, but like, I think ultimately you're like, oh, Chikrin and Shabbat are the Ottawa defensemen to watch out for. Um, but like, you know, so so I'm not necessarily as interested in Sanderson. But I am, in, you know, from a sense standpoint, I am interested in where Dipperinkai goes and what happens there because I think there is a potential that he he wants out and and then you trade them. Um, in terms of my second thing that I'm curious about, um, I, so, so I, I've been saying this for a long time now, and I think it's going to happen. Patrick Kane's going to sign with the Buffalo Sabres. Um, and granted, cause he's making 10.5 million, um, you know, before he's a free agent. Uh, so I don't think he's going to make that again. But the Buffalo Sabres are in an interesting um, trajectory right now because uh, you have, in terms of their division, it's like Toronto's not going away, uh, Tampa's not going away, Boston might go away, uh, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, Montreal has something cooking with, uh, with uh, you know, Slavkovsky and Caulfield. They also have this, they're going to get a good pick at that fifth overall pick there. Um, Florida just made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that... Oh, Detroit. Yeah, you never know what Detroit. But Buffalo, you know, you've got, like, a breakout player, one of the most exciting players to watch in Tage Thompson. Um, and then Rasmus Dahlin really came into his own this year. Um, Owen Power also was pretty good as well as, as a 20-years-old um, and uh, you sign, like, Dylan Cousin, who also kind of had a breakout year, but, like, there's more to come. I, I think there's going to be more to come out of Dylan Cousins. So, however, Tate Johnson's 25 years old. Dylan Cousins, 22 years old. Rasmus Dahlin is 23 years old. 
Um, and then you have Owen Power, who's 20 years old. Um, I imagine Devin Levi, he's, he's, I mean, I think he's ready, um, but he's 21 years old, and I could see him being the goaltender. So that's a very, very young core. And, like, you know, all, all those guys I just mentioned are very, very good players, so they are in the right path. But what they really need is a veteran. Um, and I think that's going to be, um, I guess it could be Ryan, a Ryan O'Reilly type, but that would be his second stint in Buffalo, and he'd be more of a veteran type leadership. But I like what what else can you ask for if it's Patrick King? He's in Buffalo, like he grew up in Buffalo. Uh, he can help all these young guys reach the next level. Um, and yeah, he would be he would just be incredible on this Buffalo team. I mean, and he all already has the Stanley Cups. He already has a lot of money already from ten point five million. He can take a discount. Um, from from that sense and, and just play for Buffalo because um, he doesn't necessarily need to be like on a Stanley Cup team he can just go back home and and uh, and play for Buffalo and I, I feel like it's going to be a good ad because it, it be kind of reminiscent of like a Joe Pavelski in Dallas situation um, but yeah I, I'm pretty sure I think this is going to happen where uh, Patrick Kane's going to Buffalo. Mm. Yeah, I could definitely see that as like a short one-year deal, maybe give him like four or five million dollars, yeah. maybe a couple even of two performance years bonuses, yeah. you know, with his injury and whatnot. They definitely have the cap space to do it. Yeah, yeah. But like even, like, you know, what's interesting is is that like Patrick Kane actually played well for the Rangers in the regular season when he was there. Like I know there was like those injury concerns, but it didn't seem like it when he was playing there, so... Um, I could totally see that. Also, it's like you know, I like it doesn't. I guess it doesn't have to be Patrick Kane there. It could be Ryan O'Reilly, as I just mentioned, or Vlad Tarasenko, um, as well. But, um, but yeah, I, I I feel like Buffalo's will be an interesting team to watch just because they do have such a young, exciting core, um, and I feel like there's a chance that um, that like Boston's going to not be as good this year, so. Uh, they they might be the the third team in that um, in the division. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, and they're 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 definitely a team that I can definitely see in terms of like teams that missed the playoffs uh, yeah. last year and make the playoffs this year. Buffalo's definitely definitely at the top of the list for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what's your third most interesting thing? So, I think. The Minnesota Wild are finally going to get the number one center that Kirill Kaprizov has been longing uh, for, and his name is Elias Lindholm. Ooh, uh, in case you didn't know, uh, Elias Lindholm, uh, apparently the red carpet has been rolled out for him in Calgary. He hasn't yet gotten back to the team as to whether or not he's willing to stay, but the team has made it very clear that we want guys that want to play in Calgary long-term. Craig Conroy said that. And they're not going to let a Johnny Goudreau situation happen again if there are guys that don't want to stay here that are uncommittal to the team beyond, you know, the final year of their contract. Uh, they're not going to lose these guys for nothing. They're going to get value for departing players. And I think, unfortunately, um, things have run their course uh, with the Flames between uh, Lindholm and uh, management. 
And unfortunately, the dismissal of Daryl Sutter didn't really do much to change that to the point where, while it seemed like at the end of the year interviews, Tyler Toffoli was open to signing long term. Funny, after Daryl Sutter uh, got fired, that uh, it seems yeah. like Toffoli is also on his way out, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Calgary is going to be in a position where they're going to need uh, to restock um, to restock their prospect pool or get some serviceable NHL players in return for you know guys like Mikhail Backlund or Elias Lindholm or Tyler Toffoli. Um, the list goes on, and I think in Elias Lindholm's case he is a solid two-way center that would make minnesota instantly better brian hartman is currently listed as the first line center on daily faceoff behind him freddie goodrow behind him sam Steele. behind him connor dewar a good but young player that hasn't really earned his stripes in the nhl just yet and there's also joel erickson we keep forgetting about joel erickson he's also in the picture too brian hartman as good as he is, is not Elias Lindholm. Joel Eriksson maybe could get to Elias Lindholm's level someday. He's not there yet. Elias Lindholm, we were talking about when Jonathan Huberto entered the picture in Calgary. He felt like he could get this guy to 50 goals. Imagine putting him on either the first line with Kirill Kaprizov on the left side or the second line with Matt Boldy on the left side. Imagine what his draft stock could be. Uh, or, or not his draft stock, but his financial stock. Uh, I'm not saying that Minnesota can afford to keep him beyond this year. I, I have serious doubts that they can because of the Suter and Parise buyouts still wreaking havoc on their salary cap for the next little bit. However, Elias Lindholm could go to Minnesota for one year, play really, really good, absolutely kill it, and then get paid somewhere else next year. So I think for the short term and the long term, it works out well for Elias Lindholm. And I can definitely see him making some noise in the state of hockey this year. So Elias Lindholm to Minnesota, it might be short-lived, but it's something I hope that happens because I think it would be very fun to watch him and Kaprizov on the same line. I find it funny that, like, because there were reports that a lot of the players wanted Daryl Sutter gone. And now that he is gone, it's like, oh, we still want out. <laughs> like to fold Leland Holman. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't, it did you waited one day too yeah. long, and we'll never forgive you for that. Yeah. Get us out of here. Well, like, granted, I, I kind of called it when we were talking about that hiring of um, of their, their coach um, in Calgary now, but. Uh, Brian Huska? Yeah, yeah, Huska. Uh, but. Um, it, it's just it's just funny. It's like oh okay, <laughs> like like they still want out. So, um, so yeah, maybe maybe there is something to that. But I don't know. I guess there there is something like you can also say the same for Winnipeg as well. Um, that um, yeah, it's just tough to like keep players in Calgary and Winnipeg. It's like you know you just feel bad for the fans there uh, because it's it's clear that no one wants to be in Calgary. No one wants to be in Winnipeg. So. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Those two teams are very interesting to see what what they do this offseason as well. If you're looking at Elias Lindholm's goal totals, he was one shy of 30 in 2019-20. His career high is 42 goals. Outside of that, not a single 30-goal season to his name. But he is an assist guy. He's had a couple of uh, 
70 plus point yep. seasons. He had 82 yeah, in 21 22, as a matter of fact, along with those 42 goals. Uh, the past couple of seasons, double digits and power play goals. And that's saying something because Calgary struggled to score, yep. especially in timely situations. And he's averaging nearly three minutes of power play time. But again, the face off percentage is the key. 55.7% of the draws that he took, he won this past yeah, year. Yeah. And in, in previous seasons, he's gone like 54, 55% as well. Um, so if you if you want a guy that wins face-offs, can yep. do all the little things, it's a good, reliable two-way force. And just as to your team, it doesn't really weaken the team anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, Lindholm is definitely a good bet. And he's currently... Uh, 28 years old, doesn't turn 29 until December. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it'll be, yeah, obviously he's a very good player and all that stuff that you just mentioned is like an added bonus, of course. Um, okay, my third thing here, I was trying to avoid talking about the Bruins, but because you went extensive about... Yeah, the you, have, you have no guilt now, talk yeah, about yeah, your team. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and also, like, I guess I was, like, thinking, like, what else would I talk about? I'm not necessarily sure. So, anyways, um, I think there there was, like, I, I saw a report uh, early on this, this last week that both Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci are, like, a teammate, like, um, an anonymous teammate um, from a Bruins locker room was, uh, like, has said that Bergeron and Krejci are both going to retire. Um, so... Um, it seems likely that that's going to happen. I had hoped that, like, you know, like, it's, it's interesting because this last season I was just thinking, like, okay, so it took, like, both of them, like, this was just, like, a last dance type situation for them. And so, like, everything that, every time I got to see either one of them, I was like, okay, this is just, like, an added bonus because, like, these guys were my centers for the last uh, 20 years or, you know, or so. Um, so I'm just like, all right, I, I'm grateful for that. And I just figured that they were going to retire. But then there was a tiny bit of hope that once they lost um, in the playoffs in that way, I was thinking like there, there could be a potential where um, like maybe they want to go back because it's like unfinished business at this point. But you know, yeah, this, like we're yeah. not going out like this. Exactly, but then I'm like thinking about that again. It's like they already have a cup. Like we, you know, I I think they can hold their heads high because like, every like they're, they're I, I mean I guess David Krejci's probably not making it to the Hall of Fame, but Bergeron's definitely making it to the Hall of Fame. But like, you know, they're never uh, buying a beer in Boston ever. So um, I I think they're they're happy with their lives and all that stuff. So. I'll, I'll be thankful if, if that news is official, but I'm pretty sure they're going to retire and it's going to suck um, when that happens. But having said that, um, so, so then in terms of the Bruins, uh, you have, we, they have a lot of decisions to make uh, because like, you know, at this point it depends on the whole reason why we went for it when I say we, I know I get annoyed when people do that, but I'm going to say we. I, I don't know. Uh, but, like, you know, you trade your first-round pick this year uh, to get Orloff. You you trade your 2024 first 
for Tyler Bertuzzi. And granted, those first-round picks were probably going to be like Joe Schmo from um, like Milwaukee or something. Um, yeah, Joe Schmo from Alabama. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, like, uh, they were and, worth it though. Yeah, and Bertuzzi true. and Orlov are great. Yeah, and like you know, they and, and I I feel like I shouldn't in, in, um, insult them either because they they do have like some decent prospects now that um i am at least excited about like um mason larai is one of them uh frederick brunet uh he had a great year in the qmjhl of course you have fabian lysel as well in the system but uh but yeah so like you know they they do draft like well like because larai was the second round pick i think brunet was like a fifth round pick um, and Poitras, Matthew Poitras, I think he had, like, the second most points per game in the OHL this this past year, um, which is crazy. Um, but having said that, so it's, like, the whole reason why they go for it, uh, or we go for it, um, this past season was because you, you're only going to have Bergeron and Krejci for one year. Um, but now I'm curious that now that you don't have your first-round pick, this year or next year, do you still go for it even when you don't have Bergeron and Krejci? And that I'm not necessarily sure because, like, yeah, you still have Brad Marchand. Sure, he's not as good as he once was, but he's still pretty good. Uh, Taylor Hall, I wonder what you do with him. Of course, you have David Pasternak now on a, on a long-term deal here. Um, so you're going to, like, even if Bergeron and Krejci come back, you would still have to make some decisions. Personally, I would love to keep Tyler Bertuzzi, but I wouldn't blame him if he wants out. Um, and same with uh, Orloff. I wouldn't blame him if he wants out either. Um, but uh, so so now I'm like curious, like, okay, so if they're rebuilding, but who? how do you get more picks and how do you get more prospects to fill the cupboard? And um, so I wouldn't be opposed to that, but I feel like that might not be the right move. Um, and then it's like, okay, so now if you're going to compete, it's like your two centers that you've had for two decades are gone. And uh, your best center then at this point is Charlie Coyle. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's like, okay, maybe you go out and, because you were mentioning that Pierre-Luc Dubois might uh might be interested in going to Boston. I, I would like that. Maybe we get Elias Lindholm, as you were mentioning. Uh, that would be that'd be cool too. Um, so I, so like the biggest need now is like forgetting signing Tyler Bertuzzi or forget signing um, any of these guys, um, Dmitry Orlov. It's like, oh, who else are we going to, um, like how are we gonna replace Bergeron and Krejci like, you're, you're never going to get another Bergeron. You're never going to get another Krejci. Um, but, like, you know, you at least want to try and get someone. Um, and, um, and yeah, so that that I'm kind of curious on what centers they're going to get. Um, I guess, yeah, Pavel Zaka, he does play center, so maybe uh, he'll, I guess right now, the top two centers, if you don't count Bergeron and Krejci, it would be... Uh, Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka. Um, so I don't really love that. <laughs> I, I I mean Pavel Zaka did improve a lot this past year, but I'm not sure if he's a first line center. Um, so I, I do wonder what they do. 
And then also you have to consider the fact that Jeremy Swayman's an RFA. Um, so yeah, I just I'm just I guess I'm just curious on what the Bruins are going to do because they're an interesting team, even objectively speaking. I, I wonder what they do. Yeah, that 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 applies uh, to me for yeah. like a lot of teams. Yeah, there's a lot of teams. Um, yeah, there were. But I, I especially with the David Pasternak extension because like the whole thing was yeah. I'm sure for David Pasternak it's like oh the, well you know even if this year is this yeah. year and and regardless of how it ends you know we're still going to be good beyond this year right. right? So he probably signed on with True. knowing that, you know, regardless of what happened with yep. Bergeron, regardless of what happened with Krejci, they were still going to be competitive and yep. they were still going to at least compete for the playoffs. To just do a 180 on him and say, yeah, we should probably rebuild, it's like, that's not why I signed up right, for right, right. Yeah. another eight years with you guys. I signed up for this knowing that beyond this year, we would mm. still have a chance to compete and to win. So you know maybe guys like taylor hall are going to be sacrificial lambs to kind of restock the prospect cupboard or uh you know get a piece that they need uh down the line um and obviously changes are going to be made just based on salary cap reasons but i don't expect the bruins to be a team that just misses the playoffs um and it's not even close like yeah i i still think we'll be in the playoff chase for sure and Maybe they're not. They're probably not going to be as good as they were, but I can definitely see at least a wild card team, or at least in the conversation for that. So you think they're not going to break the regular season record again? Because that's how they would. That, that would be how they uh, be. If, as good if they, as they did were. that for a second straight year without Bergeron and Krejci, chunk of this yeah. roster, that would be the real miracle. Yeah, yeah, without Bergeron and Krejci as well. <laughs> be, yeah, but yeah, no, I. I sadly agree with you. Um, I, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, because, like, I guess in, in terms of, like, recent history, we did see that Tampa, what after their career, you know, their franchise record season as well, um, or history record uh, season, like, they didn't really do a ton of stuff in the offseason to change what they were doing. They were just, they stayed the course, even though there were, like, people wanting John Cooper out as a coach. But of course, it's like the Lightning didn't really have to decide a lot of things that offseason. Whereas for the Bruins, it's like it's a, a completely different situation because like two of their best players on their core are probably going to retire. And uh, and they just pay. And not only that, yeah. but they don't really make the kind of money where yeah. like you could get like significant savings. Like, even if they retire, well, we can go and get someone else. Right, right, right. But they've already been on like hometown discounts yeah. to stick around for the team already. Yeah. So you're not really getting any savings to so, like maybe get a Pierre Luc Dubois and afford yeah. what he's going to be in a couple of years. Right, right. So they can't really even afford to just stay put because I, yeah. I would be I would be upset with that. But like and I love pretty much every single what's what's crazy is I love every single player on this team. But I know that oh like maybe like half of this roster is going to be gone by time the next uh, the, by the season or the season opener, so I have to be like, all right, I have to deal with some stuff. There were reports that Matt Grizzlick might be on the move somewhere. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I I do like him as a player, but I can see why they move him. Um, Contracts like Mike Riley that yeah. once served a purpose. Mike Riley's probably gone by. too. Yep. 
Uh, but um, but I don't know if anyone's going to take Mike Riley because he hasn't even been in the NHL. Arizona will take Mike Riley. They'll take on anyone. Yeah, assuming he, I'm but, assuming he doesn't refuse it. Yeah, but at the same time, he's making $3 million. Even, like, Arizona, I don't think they want that. Um, maybe Chicago. Oh, sure they do. They need to get to the cap floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, like, even still, like, I, I, I feel like, like no one wants Mike Riley. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so, you know, it'll be, they're definitely an interesting team. Also, not to mention the fact that, like, Jeremy Swayman is an RFA. Uh, yeah. Trent Frederick's an RFA. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. what they do with those two situations as well. So, yeah, we'll 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 definitely see. Um, and yeah, I feel like there's a lot of other storylines that we could have gone to, and I'm sure we will in the coming days. They'll probably resurface when they become official exactly, next week. Exactly. Um, but um, on that note, um, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast at, um, at you know at least I'm up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again. Episode three hundred seventy-one of the Lace Up Podcast. Enjoy the draft.